1 John 1, 1 through 4. If you found your way there, uh, read along with me. Uh, this is John's account here in 1 John 1, 1 through 4 of Christ and his affirmation of knowing him personally, the evidence of knowing him personally here in verses 1 through 4 of 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you that your word has been written to us so our joy may be full. Our joy becomes full when we confess you as Lord of our life. Lord, when you become manifest to us, when you become real to us, Lord, and when we have that fellowship with you, Lord, you bring that joy into our lives. And as we have looked back this previous week, and we've hopefully as in each household, Lord, we've gathered together with friends and family and recalled the blessings of the past year. Lord, and we know that each year holds difficulties and, and victories, Lord, and we look back upon those things and God, I pray that we were thankful for those things that we saw, not just in those things, but we're thankful to you because you have seen us through them all. Lord, you are faithful and consistent. You do not change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, you say in your word, you will never leave us nor forsake us. So as we have recalled those moments of the previous year in this past week, God, may we look forward in this month to the fact that you knew from the beginning of time that you were going to be present among us and bring salvation so that people who are far from you can be near. God, we rejoice in the fact that you were willing to step on this earth, the Creator stepping into His creation, the timeless one stepping into time so that we may have a relationship with the Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And God, I pray, Lord, today that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, may I make Jesus known clearly. And may each one of us, as we go out today, make Jesus known by our lives and not just by how we walk, but Lord, how we talk and, and of whom we speak of, may it be of Jesus. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're in 1 John, and it's written by John the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. He wrote five books of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John to convert sinners. He wrote the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, to confirm the saints, to give evidence of our faith. And he wrote the book of Revelation to coronate the king. He wrote these books for those reasons. So who is John? Many a times he's mentioned alongside what I always think of as his tag team partner and his brother, James. That's who he is mentioned alongside, James and John. 
And most of us, you know, we give nicknames to people, don't we? Sometimes we give nicknames to people, and uh, it's because either they're our good friends or, unfortunately, sometimes they're on the other end of the spectrum, right? We, we give them nicknames. And so Jesus referred to these two guys as the sons of thunder. Now, when I think of the sons of thunder, I think of a tag team wrestling group, right? I grew up in the 80s, and boy, we had our good groups of tag team wrestlers. I don't know if y'all knew, I love the Road Warriors. Ooh, what a rush. And, and, and I, liked, I liked the Road Warriors, and, and there were the Killer Bees, and there was the, the Hardy Boys, and there was the Von Erichs, which, by the way, they're coming out with a movie about them, but not to plug that. But anyway, they had all these tag team partners. And when I think of how James and John, they were referred to as the Sons of Thunder, I can only imagine them coming out and the lights and the smokes. And, but no, it wasn't really like that. But it, that's kind of what comes to my mind. Two people that were bold. That, that, were, that, that knew what they believed. They came out and they knew what their mission was. You know? And I think of James and John in that way. And Luke, it, to give us a little bit of context of why they got this, this title that Jesus gave them. Jesus gave them this nickname. Luke, 5, Luke 9, 51 through 56, records a good reason why they were given this title. They were along their way. Jesus had given them the mission of going ahead and finding a place for them. They run up on some Samaritans who say, you're not going to get to come through here. And James and John get pretty angry about it. They're fired up. You know, we got to do this for the Lord. And they go back to Jesus. They said, do you want us to call down fire just like Elijah did and just lick them up off the earth? And if you know the story of Elijah, you know, he was sitting on top of the hillside and they kept bringing these groups of 50 men to try to get him to come down. He's like, if I'm a man of God, then I'll call down fire and, and destroy you. And uh, so he called down fire and the fire destroyed them. And he did it like three different times. So these guys knew the word. They knew the Old Testament. So they were like, Lord Jesus, can we just call down fire and wipe these guys out? Jesus like, <laughs> Jesus rebuked them. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He's like, chill out, guys. My, my purpose ain't to destroy people. My purpose is to bring life to them. You know, John 10.10 10 tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Jesus like, chill out. James and John, you, you're like some sons of thunder, you know? Most of us think of John as the one whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple, right? He refers to himself that way in his own gospel. And I don't think that was what he was initially known for. Obviously, with asking questions such as this, again, in Mark 10, 35 through 45, there's the record of them asking to sit at either side of Jesus on their own particular thrones. Jesus tells them they have no idea what they're asking. They basically say they can handle it. And then John and his brother James clearly thought highly of themselves, didn't they? You know, can we sit on either side of you? They thought very highly of themselves. But by the time John begins to write this particular epistle, 1 John, uh, along with his fellow following epistles, due to his relationship with Jesus, he has become a very loving disciple. John experienced what the scripture tells us. We love because he first loved us. And because this relationship John had with Jesus, he clearly desires all who read his epistles to have the same relationship. So to make Jesus known, John does so by revealing that Jesus is real. 
He reveals that Jesus brings fellowship and Jesus brings joy. And especially as we consider this season of the year, we can see the reality of Jesus. The fellowship within a relationship with the real Jesus. And we can have joy in this relationship with the real Jesus. 1 John 1, 1 1-4 fits into the whole of four great beginnings in the Bible. In the Gospel in Mark, excuse me, in Genesis 1-1, it recounts the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. In Mark 1, it tells the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you've seen that this quarter in the Sunday School material, if you've been in Sunday School. John 1-1 reveals the Word who is God and was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And then we see here in 1 John 1-1, John reveals the incarnate Son who became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So these are the four beginnings, Genesis 1-1, Mark 1-1, John 1-1, and 1 John 1-1. To the believer, we have come to know who Christ is. But to those in some cults and different religions around the world, they do not see him this way. And liberal Christians and some of the emergent offspring say Jesus was merely a good man. But they are not clear about his being the God-man. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was merely Michael, the archangel, a created being that became man. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was not God, but only was a man who became one of many gods. It furthermore teaches that he was a polygamist and a half-brother of Lucifer. Unitarian Universalism teaches that Jesus was not God, but rather essentially an incarnate Uh, Mr. Rogers, a great man to be respected solely for his teaching, love, justice, and healing. And New Age Guru, you may have heard of him because he, many years ago, Oprah highlighted this guy. His name's Deepak Chopra. He told Larry King, I see Jesus as a state of consciousness we can all aspire to. According to Scientology, Jesus is an implant forced upon a thetan about a million years ago. Sounds like something out of a Star Wars movie. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was not God, but rather an enlightened man like the Buddha. And Hinduism, with its many views, does not consider him to be the only God, but most likely a wise man or incarnation of God like Krishna. And Islam teaches that Jesus was merely a man and a prophet who is inferior to Muhammad. That's what these different beliefs believe about Jesus. John tells us very clearly that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. He is God. He's not something other than He is the whole of. And in addition to, He became man. He is fully God and fully man. And John talks about that. So, let's move from the introduction to what we're looking at in our scripture today in John 1. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. John reveals that uh, we, we make it known that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. And he says there, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, This is later on in verse 3. 
that you also may have fellowship with us. And I'll get to the fellowship part in just a moment. But we see that Jesus is real. He is absolutely real. He is not some falsified, made-up idea in someone's brain. He was a real person. Verses 1 and 2 provide the clear evidence of his humanity and deity, but most directly, his personal interaction within humanity. He wasn't apart from, he was a part of. John's communication in these first two verses specifically was to combat a group called Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics could hardly agree that Jesus was genuinely physical in any manner. They thought he was some, something floating around like a ghost or so. I don't know what they thought about it. It was just weird. To them, physical properties could not share anything with the divine realm. That's what Gnostics believed. But he's real. He was in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form or void. And the Holy Spirit uh, was above the deep. And when God spoke, there's the Logos, Logos, uh, Jesus is the Word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1, 1, 1. so here he is. This, is. this is the affirming, with no conflict, here John does this at first in 1.1, 1, 1. there's no conflict that Christ was at the moment of all creation. There's no conflict. This is the affirming of Jesus as God within the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Christ is the Word. He's the Logos. He is described as the Word. Not as if Jesus is an idea preached or message that enlightens. This term, rather, harks back to the Gospel's prologue where Jesus is called the Word as a personal title of importance to both Greek and Jewish ears. And this proclamation sets out the marvelous tension of Christian thought. He who existed from limitless eternity has entered time in space, and taking up residence here on earth. That's out of, our, out of my NIV application commentary. He's real. He was in the beginning. He's real. We have audibly heard his voice. He says, uh, which we have heard there in John, 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. We have heard. Research shows that Jesus is recorded as speaking right at 31,426 words. Now that's recorded words. You got to remember at the end of John's gospel, he said, Jesus did a ton more things. If I wrote a book that contained them all, I, it would never end. So we don't know, you know, how many more words he said, but of the recorded words he has spoken, he spoke right at 31,426 words during his ministry years and a few occasions prior. If you were to read all of Christ's words, just his words, they'd fill about four hours of time. And you might think that's not much. But that is a lot. That's a lot. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, y'all get tired when I start preaching for about 40, 45 minutes. Could you imagine that? Four hours? Jesus spoke in the early part of John 8, 32. He said, I speak what I have seen with my Father. I speak what I've seen from my Father. So we can conclude that all of Jesus' words are from his close relationship with the Father. And all should be taken seriously and applied to our own lives. There's not a word that we should say, well, Jesus said that. That's not a big deal. No, everything Jesus said is a big deal. So we don't need to take any of his words lightly because he said, I speak what I have seen with my Father. 
You know, the disciples were spoken to often by Christ in a way of explanation. That's the way he spoke to the disciples many a times. If you were to go through uh, and see the many times Christ spoke to the apostles and disciples as a whole, it was in an effort to clarify his parables. You know, they're like, what did you mean by that? I don't understand this. What do you mean, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? What, what, what does this mean? What happened? Do you notice the fig tree that you cursed? Explain to me that. You know, every, most of the time when Jesus is speaking to the apostles and the disciples, he's explaining an action that he has taken or a parable that he has spoken. So he, is an, he, he loves to explain. His words are valuable to you and I. And we need to hear, who is Christ? Why did he do what he did? You need to listen and read the word of God. Because they're all valuable. John is letting us, the reader, you and I, and the original also know that Jesus is real because his voice has been heard and it is the voice of God. Every word, many of you, your Bible records Jesus' words in red. DC Talk came out with a song many years ago. DC Talk ain't together anymore. They haven't been for a long time. But um, they had a song called Red Letters. And, and it's, it's a powerful song. I love, I love, I've sung it before, even as a solo. Uh, but um, the, the Red Letters is a really good song. And it, and it harkens and tells us to look back at the Red Letters. There is hope in the Red Letters. There is love in the Red Letters. And, and we need to go back, and you need to look back in the Gospels and see Jesus' words. He's real. We have audibly heard his voice. When I first started writing these little points out, um, I wrote, just, just to let you all I wrote, he's real because he was in the beginning. I wrote, he's real because we have audibly heard his voice. No, he's real because he's just real. There ain't no because. It, there's, no, there's no bearing my hearing him does not take away from any of his reality. Okay? So when I went back, I said, I can't put that. That's not accurate. That's biblically not accurate. It doesn't matter whether or not I come to accept it or receive it or hear it or touch him. What matters is he's real. He was in the beginning. He's real. We have heard, audibly heard his voice. The next one, he's real. We have seen him with our eyes. John says, we have seen him with our eyes. Jesus is real and made known as he speaks to the disciples, specifically to Philip in John 14, 7 through 11. In John 14, 7 through 11. Jesus, uh, it's recorded as Jesus saying, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have what? Seen me. Seen me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus like, what? Show you the Father? Look at me. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Listen, he's real. He's, we've seen him with our eyes. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's saying, why do you need anything else? 
He's real. We have seen him with our eyes. He's real. We have touched him. Jesus compels them. He tells them there in 1 John 1. He says, uh, which we have looked on and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Our hands have handled him. Jesus compels them to touch him, to see that he was no spirit. And his scars from his crucifixion were real. You can find that in Luke uh, 24. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he says this. He says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Handle me, touch me. You know, we... We also can conclude that with as much as they traveled together, they ate together, slept in the same places, and dealt with life together, that they embraced, they had common personal greetings, and did things as friends do. I'm sure they probably walked up behind Jesus, slapped on the back, put their arm on his shoulder, you know? I, I don't know how they did, you know, we do knuckles, and we give high fives, and you know, uh, whatever, I mean, like different things that we do. I don't know what their common greetings were, but I guarantee you Jesus was one of those guys. We, we, just, we just think Jesus walked around like, like he was radiating some kind of something that can't be touched. He was, he was fully divine and fully human. He was a regular guy. I mean, he had, he had calluses on his hands because he was a worker. Now, when the Bible says that he was a carpenter, there wasn't a whole lot of wood being used back in those days. I'm sure he was a carpenter, but if you go back and you research, it also meant that he was a stonemason as well. I mean, he had rough hands. He was a guy's guy. You know, so many times you see these pictures of Jesus, and he looks like, he looks like Fabio. He's got blonde hair growing back and blue eyes. There's, there's nobody in the Middle East that looked like that. I mean, there may be, but... but Jesus was not back then. I mean, like, Jesus, Jesus looked like a Middle Eastern dude, you know? And he was a regular guy. I'm sure he joked around and cut up and had a good time. I mean, I, I mean you know, I think he was a real man. But we've got all these images of Jesus just that are not, that are not real. But we see John right here saying, look, we've, we've handled him. You know, for us today, we would be like, put on, put on little white gloves. Be scared to touch you. No, Jesus like, come near. He said, let the little kids, do peanut butter and jelly hands. Let the little kids come to me. You know, I don't care that they've ate waffles and syrup. Let them climb up in my lap. Jesus was a real guy. You know, we, we've got to appreciate who Jesus is. He's fully divine. He was fully Christ. He is fully the Messiah. And he was fully man. He was real. He was real. He was as much human as he was divine. John 13, 12 is written like this. It says, and when he had washed their feet. This is clearly revealing that he touched them. He touched them spiritually. He touched them physically. And he touched them eternally. Jesus' touch changes people. Jesus' touch changes people. He's real. He was manifest. That means he was revealed openly. Jesus revealed his humanity daily as he walked with them. Not as we consider humanity where he'd say, I'm only human. You know, because obviously he never sinned. That's the excuse for every human being whenever they sin. Well, I'm only human. Quit copping out. How about you be a Christian? And quit, quit using it. You know, make a choice. Make a hard choice. But Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. 
He, he wasn't like that. Jesus was merely human for a time. But that time has led to the opportunity of humanity for you and I, for mortal men and women. He was manifest. He was born of a virgin. He was born for all. He was born in a cattle stall. He was born to redeem. Uh, scripture tells us basically he was born to a teen. He was born to die. He was born to rise. He is real. He is really the Christ. He is really our only way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. He's real. And he's really the only way to the Father. So what else do we know in making Jesus known? We know that he brings fellowship. We know that Jesus brings fellowship. Look there. If at continuation, verse 2 is kind of a snippet uh, in between uh, the, the, the completion of verses 1 and 3. But it says, the life was manifested... And we have seen and bear witness, verse 2, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Eternal life comes in Jesus alone. It comes in Jesus alone. No work is going to get you to heaven. I can't be the best dad. I can't be the best husband and get to heaven. But I can't be the best husband and the best dad without being a child of God. I can't be the best pastor without being the best child of God, the best version of the child of God that I can be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I'm going to falter. I'm going to fail. I'll make mistakes. I'm going to say things I shouldn't say. Do things I shouldn't do from time to time. But I've got to be the best version that Christ has called me to be. And I submit and he sanctifies me. He sets me apart. And he forgives me when I sin because grace abounds where sin abounds. And so I'm grateful for that. But he brings fellowship. What else do we do in making Jesus known? We know that Jesus brings fellowship. So you look there, it says, I, I, I did that verse 2, and then I kind of skipped away from it. Let's come back to it. The latter part of verse 1 says, And our hands have handled concerning the word of life, then verse 3, that, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so what he's saying is this. When we know that Jesus is real, Jesus, the revelation that Jesus is real should be proclaimed for the purpose of fellowship for other people in what you know is real. Let me move through this quickly. Christian community is partnership and experience. It is the common living of people who have a shared experience of Jesus Christ. Those John writes to talk about this experience. They urge each other to grow more deeply in it. And they discover that through it, they begin to build a life together unlike any shared life there is in the world. This fellowship is not merely within the church, but is with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. As, as he talks about there, the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this puts one more dimension to the meaning of community. Fellowship is not just the coincidence of a shared experience with God. Where we compare our private spiritual walks. That's not what we do. We don't come in here and compare our private spiritual walks. It is living and experiencing the Father and the Son together as believers. And Christian fellowship is triangular. The three points on there is my life in fellowship with Christ. Your life in fellowship with Christ. And my life in fellowship with yours. It's a triangle there. Uh, that's what the commentary from the NIV application commentary kind of reads out to us. One time I read of a British writer many years ago. He was in the process of leaving on a ship for travel. And as he was looking back toward the dock, he saw many people waving. They were waving to the ship. And, 
And uh, they weren't quite pulled off from the dock yet. And, and people were waving. And he realized there, were, there was nobody down there waving to him. There was nobody waving to him. So he quickly ran down and ran back. And he found this young boy there. And he paid him some money. And he said, wave to me as we're leaving. So, he, so the little boy waved back to him. And he waved at him as he was, as he was leaving off on that ship. And uh, because he, he wanted someone to wave him off in his journey. He wanted that fellowship. He wanted that fellowship. Now, some of you thought I was going to say the boy ran off with the money. Uh, no, he didn't. He didn't. Because you know what? Most of us want some kind of fellowship. We want some kind of camaraderie, some, something that binds us together. And we all desire fellowship. We desire companionship. We desire someone to unite in a common cause or a common bond. We want that. And John is writing that Christian community is not some passing association of people who share sympathies for a cause. Nor is it an uh, academy where an intellectual consensus about God is discovered. It, this, it can't be that superficial, is what John's saying. It can't be that superficial. So how do we commune with the Lord in a way that matches John's experience? At least we can say what it's not. We can say what it's not. It's not just doing Christian things. It's not just doing Christian things, although obedience is important. It's not just giving intellectual focus to a set of doctrines. Now, that's important too, but that's not the whole of it. Christian discipleship must be experiential. It must be personal in the sense that the person of Jesus indwells our life and makes himself known. And using John's terms in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, the believer has fellowship with the Father and the Son in a manner not dissimilar to have a fellowship with other Christians. And finally, lastly, what do we know in making Jesus known? We know that in making Jesus known, Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings joy. John is writing this epistle for the joy of the audience. Look what it says there in the final verse. It says, in these things we write to you that your joy may be full. He wants your joy to be full to know that you can have fellowship with the real Christ, the real Messiah. And he wants you to have real fellowship. And he wants you to have real joy, not fickle stuff. You know what I mean? Sometimes we get happy, but happy is based on circumstance. But joy is based on Jesus. And so he wants us to have this joy knowing that we are saved. And honestly, the whole epistle of 1 John, John is writing about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's writing all that. Jesus is the joy in the believer's life. The joy of the believer uh, is, is not in happy circumstance or the humble difficulties, but rather consistency and faithfulness of their Lord through it all. The joy of the believer is having the word of God so that when hardships surprise or when victories arise, there is a foundational truth. He will never leave me nor forsake me. John writes these things about the reality of Christ and the fellowship with Christ so we may have joy in Christ. You know, there's not many things in this world today that brings us joy. We do have some joy. But there's not many things in our world today that bring us joy. There's plenty to bring us sadness and sorrow. There's plenty to do that. But Jesus Christ is, is the light that breaks through the dark clouds. That's who he is. Jesus Christ is a vigilant hope in the dark depression. Jesus Christ is the victor in the midst of the valley. 
as who He is. He is our joy. And considering all we've experienced today, considering the greens uh, and their representation of Christ's consistency, we see Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the wonderful counselor. He, counselor. he is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. So who is Christ to you? Who is Christ to you? Is he real? Or is he just somebody that somebody else has told you about that you really don't have a relationship with, but yet you, you accommodate him? I don't want you to accommodate Christ. I want you to submit to him. I don't want us to continue to accommodate Christ. Oh, I know Christ. You know, I've got these sets of rules that I'm supposed to. That's accommodating him. Quit accommodating him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Give your life to him. Quit just accommodating him. Accommodation don't get you to heaven. The lack of common condemnation through Christ gets you to heaven. 